As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Matt Goldman. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Steiniger. Today we talked with Peter Reinhardt, the co-founder and CEO of Segment. What'd you guys think? I thought it was super cool to hear this story about how they got started. They started off as an ed tech company, pivoted across a couple analytics tools, and eventually uh, ended up pursuing an open source project that they'd released. And it was just really interesting to hear how they ended up where they are today. Yeah, absolutely. And it was it was cool to see how they tackle some internal projects, what they choose to automate um, was was interesting um, as they've grown in the last year. So, yeah, let's get into it. 
We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Hover makes purchasing and managing your domain simple and easy. This week, I asked George Diab of Working On about the best domain he ever purchased. Oh, I bought AskSmalls.com, which is the nickname for my wife. I used to, ju- instead of just like going to Google, I would just ask my wife a question and she'd answer it. So I'm like, yeah, we should get you a website, AskSmalls.com. Yeah, and depend- you, might get a, you might get a happy Smalls, you might get a cranky Smalls, but you got Smalls. That's guaranteed. Go to Hover.com and use the code SATISFIEDCUSTOMERS to get 10% off your domain purchase today. CodeShip is a hosted continuous delivery service focusing on speed, security, and customizability. You can set up continuous integration in a matter of seconds and automatically deploy when your tests have passed. CodeShip supports both your GitHub and Bitbucket projects, and you can get started with CodeShip's free plan today. Should you decide to go with a premium plan, you can save 20% off of any plan for the next three months by using code ROCKETSHIP. Go to CodeShip.com slash ROCKETSHIP and check it out. Peter, kind of tell us, start off for anyone that doesn't know, um, what is Segment.io? Yeah, so Segment is sort of like, uh, this, we call it a customer data hub. Um, so we help companies collect data from their websites, their mobile apps, their servers, all the customer data about who customers are and what they're doing. All that data flows up to Segment, and then we translate and fan it out to all the different analytics tools, email, behavioral email tools, advertising tools, A-B testing tools, all these tools that are powered by customer data. Um, we basically help companies collect the customer data and then route it out to all the different places where they want to use it. So how did you guys find this problem um, and, and start to focus on it? Yeah, it's a funny story. We actually, um, we actually started as an education technology company. So um, the founders are you know, myself and, and two of my roommates from, from MIT uh, and a friend of ours from Rhode Island School of Design. And we got into Y Combinator in the summer of 2011 with an idea for an education technology tool, actually. Um, And the idea was give students an interface where they could push a button to say, I'm confused. And then professors would get this graph over time of how confused their students were. Um, And a lot of professors were excited about it, students were excited about it. So we we raised a seed round uh, out of Demo Day at Y Combinator and then put it in the classroom in Boston. And what happened was it basically was like an excellent engagement tool for Facebook um, because what happened is all the students opened their laptops and went to Facebook instead of using our app. Um, so it was, it was pretty. It was pretty horrifying. Uh, I remember this one anthropology class at BU, um, Boston University, and I was looking. And there were a hundred students all with their laptops out. So it's like walls and walls and walls of laptops. Um, and I remember counting how many laptop screens were using our app versus on Facebook or Gmail or whatever. And at the beginning of the class, it was sixty percent of students were using Facebook. And by the end of the class, it was at 80%. Um, so it was basically like the most distracting education tool ever built. <laughs> you were basically uh, a gateway into Facebook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was horrible. Uh, and I remember leaving that and just being like absolutely horrified. So um, we, uh, we shut down that product pretty quickly, about two months after we, we raised our seed round. Um, and then we actually started trying to build like a Google Analytics competitor. Um, and the whole idea was around segmentation. Um, which is actually like the the namesake of uh, of segment. Um, we we felt that like segmentation was the key to understanding understanding data and that analyzing it in aggregate wasn't that useful. Um, so we we tried for like a year and a half to build a tool that did analytics better. We didn't realize how crowded of a market it was or um, how niche it could be, etc. Um, and so we we really struggled to get traction there. 
Um, and really, so we build out crazy amounts of infrastructure. Like it turns out, it's a non-trivial problem to take in tons of data and make it queryable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, mad props to Mixpanel and Kissmetrics and Amplitude and all these companies that that do that. Um, but yeah, we, we we never really got traction with that. So, meanwhile, though, there was this other thread developing um, that we didn't realize was important until later. And if you go back to the very very first week of when we were an educate when we were Classmetric, an education technology company. In that first week, I was like, hey, we should have analytics on this thing because, like, you know, you're supposed to have analytics, right? And I knew nothing about it. So I Googled analytics and I found Kissmetrics, Mixpanel, and Google Analytics. And I was trying to read their marketing pages and I couldn't figure out what the difference was. And so I was like, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to look at the docs. And all the APIs were pretty much the same. So we built like this wrapper that could take in basically one piece of data and then fan it out to all three. And then we just implemented this this wrapper as a way of like sort of solving the technical problem of implementing the analytics tools, and it was like we'll solve it, we'll figure it out later as to which one we actually want to use. Hmm. And about once every six months, we would rewrite that library first to just clean it up, and then a little later, we were like, oh, you know, if we added at that time segment as a fourth provider, we could use it to get traction because the biggest the biggest problem was all of our potential customers uh, for segment at that time. We're like, oh, I already got Mixpanel implemented or Google Analytics implemented. I don't, I don't want to install another thing. So we're like, oh no, no, here's like a, a JavaScript library, and you can install it once and then send data to all these places, and then we'll get a fair comparison. And people were like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I'll use the, I'll use the library. And so they would start using it. And we'd be like, oh, well, here's your, here's your API key to use our analytics service. And they were like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, so the. The challenge was that we had this small open source library, which at the time had like 30 stars or something, which was really exciting. Um, and we had this, so it was basically like getting organic traction, and we had this analytics service that wasn't getting any traction at all. Um, and so in December of 2012, my co founder Ian was like, you know, I think there's a big business behind Analytics.js, which is this open source wrapper. Uh, and I thought to myself, that is the worst idea I've ever heard. Um, like, how do I how do I kill this? Like, we're running out of money. I was like, this, this is horrible. Um, and were you trying to kill the company or the, no, 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 the idea? idea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I wanted the company to succeed, which is why I wanted to kill the idea. I see. Um, and I was like, we really got to just double down on this analytics service. And anyway, so I went home and I came back the next day and I was like, all right, guys, here's what we should do. We should put the wrapper, the Analytics.js on Hacker News, and we'll see what happens. And I was thinking to myself, like, it's going to go to the bottom, get ignored, and we'll just be like done with it. Um, and you know, obviously I was proved wrong. It went straight to the top, uh, got like a thousand stars on GitHub on the first day. And uh, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't have been more wrong, basically. <laughs> um, so props, props to my co-founder, Ian. Um, so yeah, that was, that was the genesis. And then from there it was like, well, all right, this is a real problem. So we added a lot more integration. You know, that was when we had six integrations. Um, so now we've got 150 and server-side libraries and mobile SDKs, and we record the raw data so we can replay it and, and all kinds of good stuff. So going back to that that first transition, going from an open source project, picking up momentum, to turning it into a business, how did you guys take it in that direction initially? So I think, this doesn't quite answer your question, but I, I think there was actually quite a bit of value in having a disagreement among the co-founders as to whether it was a, a real problem and a real solution. Because what, what, what happened out of, out of that situation was that we had to come up with a legitimate test 
of whether it was a viable business or not. Usually what, or what had happened to us prior was everyone agreed that it was a good idea or a bad idea. And so there was no motivation to test it um, against the market. So it was basically tested by whether we agreed with each other or not, which is like total groupthink. But as soon as we actually disagreed as to whether it was a good idea or not, then we had to come up with some sort of third-party test, which was the market. And then it was really obvious. Um, so I think actually the, the disagreement in, in co-founders at that moment was actually really formative in requiring us to go to the market uh, and find out. And was it the the popularity going up on GitHub that convinced all the founders, or was it getting people to actually pay for you know the business version of it? Uh, well, so we when we launched it, it was literally an open source library. There was no hosted version, but it was it was enough interest for us to say, well, it seems like there's something here, so let's try building a hosted version of Analytics.js. So that weekend, we built a hosted version of Analytics.js, and then we launched that to all the email addresses that we'd collected. And within like two or three weeks, we had 100 companies sending data through Segment. Um, Did you so we, keep the open source op- available? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You can use it today if you oh, want. Oh, it still, still is? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Um, it, it, it just turns out that um, the li- you, to like, compile it and use it yourself is, is, is still kind of a headache, so the hosted version makes it all much, much easier. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. Com. That's business.att.com. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and do you maintain the analytics JS just like you do internal? Is it is it the, is it identical or um, uh, is it very much an open source project where multiple people are contributing to it who aren't necessarily part of Segment IO? Uh, there are lots of contributors to it. The the open source library is the same one that we use internally. Um, we, I mean, we, that's one of the data sources that we mm. can collect data from. Now we have mobile SDKs and server-side libraries and so forth. Um, but um, the, the Analytics.js is Analytics.js, and, and we, we use it internally, and, and a few people use it as just like a pure open-source library as well. Um, and actually, uh, an interesting, there are some companies now that are choosing not to build their own JavaScript library to collect data, and they just fork Analytics.js and then use the same API. Um, so I know like... Uh, Threads.io is like a SendGrid project. Um, they decided they didn't want to build a JavaScript library to collect customer data, so they just forked Analytics.js, and that's awesome. Interesting, yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Um, who have you seen? Like, who is your target market for segment? Is it developers or is it the marketing team? Who ends up kind of buying it? Yeah, it's engineering. Um, it is engineering. Okay. Yeah, because. It's it's interesting. It's it's a problem created by the interaction between marketing and engineering. Mm-hmm. So typically, a, a marketing team uh, will decide to use, say, like Exact Target, and they sign the contract with Exact Target, and then they they walk over to engineering and they're like, "Hey, we just signed this contract with Exact Target. Um, can you do the integration?" And the engineers are like, "Oh, are you serious? Um, like, I had some interesting product thing I wanted to work on. I don't really <laughs> want to integrate Exact Target for you." Um, and so, so what typically happens is sort of the, it's the pressure from the marketing team that causes the engineering team to say, like, there's got to be a better way. Okay. Um, and then they use segment for that. 
Interesting. Do you guys do um, sales on that, or is it all inbound interest? Uh, it's all inbound. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we've we've grown to about six thousand six hundred customers now. Um, and yeah, it's it's all sort of like word of mouth. Um, we do some like content and stuff like that. Very uh, cool. So you guys automate um, a lot of stuff on the uh, internally of Segment. Yep. Um, I'd love to hear about kind of how you choose what to automate, and maybe even an example of something that you've automated. Yeah, we um, we try to automate things that are are boring. Okay. Um, and that we think we'll need to do many times in the future. So if we 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 try not to automate things that are like one-time tasks, um, since usually the engineering burden of automating it takes too much time. Um, so I can give you an example. We for we foresee into the future us adding many 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 integrations. Right now, you know, we started with six, but now we support 150 integrations. So these are all tools that we can send data to, um, and we anticipate adding thousands. So that that's a, a task uh, that aspects of it should definitely be automated because we want to we want to make it scale. Um, and a, one part of adding integrations is generating a logo for that partner. And yeah, you could one way would be to just Google the logo, like get a PNG, download it, and upload it. Um, but our quality bar is is much higher than that. We really really care about um, how good the logo is. Um, and so the only logos that we're okay with are color SVG logos. And so the process of adding an integration requires basically a designer to sit down and actually take a PNG or whatever's available and convert it into like the appropriate SVG logo and size it so that it looks about the same size as all the other logos. So you don't get like an EPS version from your partners? Uh, we found that that is actually not every partner actually has an EPS version or is necessarily willing to share it. Okay. Um, and so the fastest way is for us to just do it ourselves. Um, but naturally, the design team here has better things to do than convert logos to uh, from whatever is available to, to correctly size right. SVGs. Um, so, so that is actually something that we automated. Um, so our chat bot, we have, it's like a um, like a hubbot, basically a chat bot in Slack. Um, you can just say like logo create. We give it an example URL. And the name of the logo, the name of the company, and then it actually fully—it's fully automated logo creation process uh, where we end with color black and white SVG logos, all sized appropriately. And um, that's from PNG to SVG automatically. Uh, yeah, PNG or GIF, or it, it doesn't matter. And wow. the key—the key reason why it doesn't matter is because it's actually a human in the loop. Um, there's a, an API called the 99 Designs Task API. And on the back end, it actually submits a, t- a templated task uh, to a remote designer somewhere in the world to do the logo conversion. Wow. Okay. Oh, that's cool. So, um, so you guys have been growing heavily. I think you guys added like 30, 35 people in the last year. Yep. Um, where, where have you guys focused um, you know, in, in the hiring process when you know, sales isn't isn't something that's a, a priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah the the biggest the two biggest foci for us are, are or sort of three are engineering design um, and we call it customer success um, basically helping customers. Um, so a lot of the growth in the, in the past year has been on, on sort of those three teams. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it has been, it has been quite a lot of growth. We, we grew from, you know, like 11 at this time last year and now we're, uh, 43 or 45, somewhere in there. Um, is there a reason you haven't put much focus on sales? Um, so we actually, we, we do have a sales team, um, but they, they in general don't do outbound sales. Um, so we, people will come and sign up in, in, in droves every day. Uh, and then we select out companies signing up that would probably benefit from talking with a sales rep. Like they probably want to hear more about our enterprise features like replay and, and segment SQL and stuff like that. Um, so if we think that they're potentially a good fit, then, then we'll reach out. Um, and oftentimes they reach out to us too. So we, 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 we have a, we have a sales team and a sales model. It's just, it's just based on inbound. How do you identify who those companies are that you should be talking to? Yeah, it's actually pretty straightforward. You look for companies with like more than 50 employees. Um, and this is, this is pretty much true of, of most sales teams that I've talked to. Um, if, if the company is of a reasonable size, then they probably have fairly complex problems and, um, and we'll need the, the more complicated features that we have to offer or, or benefit from, from having them. Um, so the, the number of employees is like a really strong signal. Is someone on your team looking that up for every sign-up, or do you have something automated for that? Uh, yeah, we, we basically automated via a service called Clearbit. Interesting. I'm hearing a lot of teams that have sales teams but aren't doing inbound. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess it's sort, it's sort of a luxury, right? Um, if, you, if you don't have inbound, then you have to make it work somehow. But if you have inbound, then, uh, then you can focus your effort on increasing inbound. <laughs> Yeah, what kind of what kind of projects are you guys running on the inbound side of things that are driving people in? Uh, you know, I wish I knew better. It's a little frustrating actually because most of our inbound comes through direct signups. Um, you know, you look at the refer or whatever in Google Analytics, and you can see it's like direct. It's like great, someone entered our <laughs> URL into the URL bar and showed up. Um, but we have no idea where they heard about segment. Um, we do know that a good number of people are, are sort of influenced by our partners in one way or another. Um, so that's pretty awesome that like the partner ecosystem helps. Um, but in general, our focus on, on growth has been on uh, conversion and activation. Basically, how do, we, how do we more clearly explain what segment does? And um, once people sign up, how can we get barriers out of their way so that they can actually try using the product? Um, and we think that that will probably just accelerate word of mouth. Have there been any big wins on that side of you know converting people into a technical product? It's a good question. I have one that I'm that we're really excited about, but that we have not measured yet. So I don't know if that's fair. <laughs> but uh, but um, we we built a thing called uh, or a couple guys on the team built this thing called Sherlock, um, which basically if you you type in the URL of your website and it. And on the back end, it pulls up your website and inspects it for all of the analytics tools and advertising tools and email marketing tools, inspects them all on the page, pulls out the API keys, and then shows you all of them. So you don't have to go like look at all the different, you don't have to pull up the settings pages for all the different tools you want to turn on. It just pulls them directly from your page and you hit save, and then it turns on all of those through segment. Um, so just like trying to eliminate these sort of like barriers to adoption where it's like, oh, do I really want to go look up all my API keys? That's kind of annoying. Um, like no problem, we can just pull them from your page already. And has it been difficult to get the product? Um, it seems like when you're working with something like this between marketing and engineering teams, they would have to collaborate together to get it, you know, started. Is that something that delays a lot of new accounts that sign up? Uh, 
actually, the biggest delay on projects getting set up is fitting it into the engineering roadmap. Um, there is a communication problem generally between people on the product side or marketing side or analyst, basically product managers, marketers, and analysts communicating efficiently with people on the engineering team. And that's that the people on sort of the non-technical side often know what data needs to be recorded from a business perspective, but then the implementation has to be on the engineering side, right, um, to collect that data from their website or mobile app or whatever. And so that's actually one of the, one of the features that we recently released is called the tracking plan, and it tries to sort of bridge that communication gap uh, where the non-technical teammates or the technical teammates can go in and enter, here are the like, key events in our funnel that we need recorded with these properties, and then gives the engineers a real-time view into what data is actually being recorded. So they can basically get a clear spec for what they should be recording and then validate that they basically QA that they are recording what's needed. Um, and you know, that problem used to be solved by sort of trading around a spreadsheet, which got really complicated um, and quickly got out of date, but trying to solve that communication problem in, in sort of across complex teams is, is, is something we're working on. And you mentioned that you're releasing some new products that are focused on you know, specifically things enterprise companies need. Um, how are you guys identifying which of those you should build and which ones are going to be um, you know, most valuable for you? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think, um, I think one of the secrets at least for surprises for me, is how much easier things get once you have a few customers using your product. Um, when we had no customers using our product, back when we were failing with the old analytics tool, um, we, it was really hard to figure out what people needed or wanted or what problems they had. But now we have a bunch of customers who like love Segment, they're happy to meet with us, they'll just gush about all their problems. Um, Related to analytics, and so it's actually it's actually really easy to figure out what the other problems are that we can solve. We just like call up customers who already want to talk to us, and they just tell us what their problems are, and then we figure out how to solve it. So it's not, um, you know, when we're just getting started, it's actually really difficult because uh, you don't have like a cohesive audience, and people don't really want to talk to you. Um, but but now, as soon as you have customers, it's actually pretty straightforward. So it sounds like there's a lot of value in using Clearbit to segment down. You know what types of companies you're working with, and then seeing who's most active and in love with the product, and then talking to them. Yeah, exactly. So I can give you a concrete example. Uh, last year in February, we went on a, on a sales trip, or customer success trip. We visited a bunch of our existing customers in New York City, and uh, we had granted all of these companies access to their raw data on S3, so they could access all their raw data in sort of a nice format. Uh, and we just asked them, like, what are you doing with access to the raw data? You know, um, are you doing anything with it? And, and for five meetings in a row, every company was like, well, yeah, we have an engineering team that's, that's taking the data out of the S3 bucket you gave us, and they're loading it into a SQL database so that we can uh, connect it to our, B, our business intelligence reporting tools. And it was like, after the first meeting, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then after the second meeting, I was like, that's a little weird that this happened twice in one day. And then after the third meeting, it was like, okay, seriously, all these guys met ahead of time and like decided what they were going to complain about. Um, and so by the end of the day, it was like, well, obviously this is a problem we need to solve for our customers, right? We've got like five companies that are already customers that already have like just 15 engineers already working on solving the same problem. Let's just solve it once and for all. And then just that becomes a product for us, right? Um, so I think, I think once, once you have some customers and you just like are hearing what they're, New problems are based on your product. It's like it's pretty straightforward. 
Interesting. Well, cool. Thanks so much for coming on. Can you let everyone know where they can keep up with you and Segment online? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can find us at segment.com or segment on Twitter. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have uh, anyone out there come give Segment a try and uh, see if we can help with your data. Great. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And be sure to check out our app discount section where we have discounts on products that we use every day, like Woo Themes, Wistia, Treehouse. Go to rocketship.fm forward slash essentials and get your discounts today. Oh.